The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. When we last looked into Mark chapter 8, we, we saw that Jesus was uh, giving his disciples some rules of the road. Uh, you'll notice in verse 27, it says that Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? That, that by the way there is a reference to the fact that they were on the road. They were traveling. They were uh, constantly moving. Um, you know, that's one thing about the Lord that we need to always remember. He didn't stay in one place. He was, he was constantly traveling from town to town, going where the people were and where his, um, his father, who he was in perfect harmony with, led him. And the disciples were constantly walking with him. And I want to say to you, as we said earlier, this, you can learn a lot by walking with Jesus. What a lesson that is for us. We ought to be walking with Jesus. Because as we walk, by the way, as we walk along the roads of this life, he teaches us many things. You know, our lives are not static. We don't hole up in a compound somewhere and then uh, trust that, well, that's the only place the Lord will be with us. The Lord is not with us just in church. The Lord is not with us just on Sunday mornings in the place where we've designated for his worship. The Lord is with us every day. We just have to look for him. We just have to be aware of him and be seeking him on a daily basis you know, this is a good lesson for us. The disciples learned a lot by walking the roads of this life with Jesus. And we can do that as well. And that's that's what we talked about uh, this morning when we uh, preached on Mark 8. We, he was giving them some rules of the road, rules of the road. And, and uh, we found that there's some things we need to know about Jesus. We need to, we need to know what he does. Uh, you know, he's we, we discussed this earlier that he's in the healing business. We saw him heal a, heal a blind man. He's, he's in the feeding business. He, he, he fed 4,000 at the beginning of this chapter, just like he had already fed 5,000 in the, in the past. He's in the teaching business. He challenged the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Uh, he he uh, continued to challenge them in so many ways throughout his earthly ministry. And, and he challenged the disciples in their f- faithlessness. Um, you know, uh, back in uh, verse 14, uh, the disciples had forgotten to take bread. And when, when he said, you need to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, they missed the spiritual point because they were too focused upon the physical. Um, and, and by the way, uh, something I want to reemphasize here. Just remember that Jesus never spoke with hidden meanings. He didn't. He wasn't passive aggressive. He didn't uh, say one thing and mean another. He didn't say things that had great implications that they ought to have gotten, but they missed. They always tried to read things into what Jesus said. You know, we don't need to read things into anything that Jesus said. We just need to take him for his word. And, and by the way, we ought to be that way ourselves. And he reminded the disciples of his divine power. And he, he said, you know, don't be faithless. Remember, I, I, I broke bread among 5,000. I fed 4,000. Uh, so don't be reading things into what I say. Take me at my word. We need to know what he does. But also, and what I want to focus upon in this message is 
that we need to know who he is. You see, um, it's not enough just to know what he's doing. We need to know who this man is that's doing all these great things. And so in chapter 8 and verse 27, we're told that Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And so in chapter 8 and verse 27, we read the following. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, that is by the roadside, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. And he charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. You see, and we're going to continue reading in a moment, but in this passage, Jesus asks a, a couple of very important questions. First, he asks, whom do men say that I am? Who, who do people out there in the world say that I am? And you know, that's a good question. There's a lot of different ideas that people have about Jesus, isn't there? There's there's all kinds of teachings about him. You know, uh, if you ask a, a, a person of the Jewish faith who he is, they would say he was a great prophet or rabbi, but uh, that was all he was. If you ask a uh, Muslim about Jesus, they would say, yes, he was a great prophet, but he was just a man. Uh, you know, there's others that say he was nobody. The atheist would say if he existed at all, he was nothing but a man. Uh, the humanist would say that he might have been a great philosopher, and uh, Josephus said that he was a historical figure, but uh, but nothing more than a tragic uh, figure in history because uh, he was ultimately crucified, and Josephus uh, didn't believe that he had, you know, in the resurrection. Um, so there's a lot of different ideas about Jesus out there. But then Jesus asked them the question that's much more important to us, and that is, whom say ye? that I am? Whom say ye that I am? And, you know, that's a good question, isn't it? We need to be asking ourselves really on a daily basis, who exactly is this Jesus that we believe in? Who is he? Is he somebody that has taught us some good things that we we ought to follow and, you know, try to be try to be good? But uh, But, you know, he's basically a good philosopher. Is he is he somebody who came to this earth to try to to help us, to try to do something for us and, and did the best he could and now the rest is up to us? Uh, who, who is he? Whom say ye that I am? Back over in Matthew, the 16th chapter, this same account is given, and this is the way it reads in verse 13 of chapter 16. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Similar, the same question that he asked as it's recorded in Mark. And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, um, and others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. Same kind of answers. And, and, you know, interesting to see the ones that were chosen there. John the Baptist, who's now dead. 
uh, Jeremiah, who was uh, the weeping prophet, Elijah, who uh, was a great prophet, but uh, and one who didn't die. He went on to be into heaven without the, uh, having to pass away. But then he asked that question again, but whom say ye that I am? And Matthew gives us a little bit additional information here. Uh, he says, when Simon Peter answered him, this is what Simon Peter said. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So there's some things we need to know about who Jesus is. The first thing we need to know about him is that he is the Christ. That's a Greek word that, uh, that the Old Testament called Messiah, uh, but the Greek word Christos just simply means the anointed one. And it was the Greek word that was used to denote the Hebrew Messiah, uh, which meant the anointed prince. Uh, so he was the one who was anointed. He was the one who had been prophesied since the Garden of Eden, either by type and by shadow. You remember in the Garden of Eden, uh, before he uh, drove the man and the woman out of the garden, God sacrificed an animal and clothed them in his skin. That was the first type of the Lord Jesus Christ that we see in the, in the scriptures. And even before that, he prophesied to the serpent of all people, as he's talking to the serpent, he makes a, a direct prophecy about the Christ who is coming, the Messiah, the anointed prince, the anointed one. And he says this, he says to the serpent, "Thou shalt." he said, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed, that is the seed of the woman. Oh, there's so much preaching right there. He didn't say the seed of the man. And nowhere else in scripture do you see anything about the seed of anything other than the man. But here we see the seed of the woman. That doesn't uh, really comply. It doesn't match up with everything else. But there's a reason for it. Because the, the Christ that would be coming would be not a descendant of Adam, but a descendant of Eve. He, she, he, would, he would not have a father who was a descendant of Adam. He would have a father who was the Holy Ghost. And, and so he said, this, I'll put enmity between, uh, he said, I will put enmity between thy seed, that is the seed of the serpent, and her seed, that is the seed of the woman. Thou, the serpent, in his seed, thou shalt bruise his his heel, but he shall bruise thy head. In other words, uh, you're going to hurt him. You're going to cause him problems. You're going to, in fact, you're ultimately going to kill him, but, but it won't be a fatal blow. It'll be a, a bruise of his heel, whereas the blow that he will uh, inflict upon you, Satan, is a death blow. He will, he will smite you on your head, whereas you'll only bruise his heel. There was a prophecy there. See, this Christos, this Christ, has been prophesied either by type or shadow uh, since the Garden of Eden, or even explicitly, if you go to Daniel 9, and we won't turn there right now, but uh, but go to Daniel 9 sometime, and you'll read about the time when Messiah is coming, and he laid out the exact dates, the exact timeline. So uh, this Christ that 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 Peter proclaims that Jesus is, is, is someone that the Jews had been looking for, for, uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Jews and those that were familiar with the Jews' religion, they understood that there was a very clear teaching that there was an anointed prince coming one day. Now, the problem is they mistook his nature. 
They mistook his work. They thought he was coming as a great war leader, as a great political leader, that he would be the one to lead them out of the, the physical, earthly captivity of the Romans. But instead, he was here to put away the sin and the bondage of sin that had afflicted God's people throughout the, the ages of time. Um, you know, they were looking for the Christ, and he is the Christ. You need to know he is that very one. In Isaiah 53, when he talks about the one uh, who, uh, uh, who was to come, this is that one. Don't, don't be mistaken, beloved. We need to understand that, that when Isaiah says, um, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, um, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This is him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. This is him. <laughs> this is him. And, and let me just say, we don't have to guess about that because over in Acts, the eighth chapter, there was a, there was a eunuch from Ethiopia who was traveling um, on, the, uh, uh, on the road headed, um, uh, headed uh, back home from having been in uh, Jerusalem to worship. And, uh, and Philip was sent down there to this man by the Holy Spirit. And he was reading from this very scripture. He was reading from Isaiah chapter 53, uh, where it says uh, in verse 7, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. You know, according to chapter 8 of Acts and 32nd chapter, the place of the scripture which he read was this very scripture. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? The eunuch turned to Philip and said, who is he talking about? Literally, he said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this of himself or of some other man. And you know what Philip did? Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You know why he could do that? Because Jesus was the Christ. He is the Christ. And not only is he the Christ, uh, according to uh, Peter's further profession in Matthew chapter 16, he is not just the Christ, he is also the son of the living God. You know, this is the key to the kingdom of God. This is the key to understanding what it is that we do every Sunday and how that we're supposed to live our lives. This is the key to understanding the spiritual kingdom of God that we dwell in. Peter gets it right here. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember the first chapter and the first verse of this gospel of Mark? Uh, the, it says, this is the way it reads, the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Do you understand this morning that, uh, that if, if Jesus is not the Son of God, then there is no good news, that all of the work that he performed, even if he were able to perform all of these miracles, hey, there were other men throughout history that have been able to perform miracles. Elijah raised a young man from the dead. Elijah caused an axe to float, or maybe it was Elisha, but either way, it was uh, uh, there have been men who could perform miracles, but it, they were not the Son of God. They, they are not this Jesus Christ, and they could not die and put away one sin of anybody, including their own. You see, it's only good news to us if Jesus is the Son of God. That's why Mark says when he's writing, he says, 
the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? What's the good news of Jesus Christ? That he was a powerful man, that he was a wise man. He was certainly all those things, but this is the good news that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter gets it right, right here. (laughs) Peter didn't, you know, and now why did he get it right? Well, in Matthew 16, in the next few verses, we're told why. In verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for you're so smart you figured this out on your own. Is that what he said? No, it's not what he said. That's not the the case, and it's never the case. When one comes to see that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the case is what Jesus is about to tell us here. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. It is a divine revelation uh, given from God to man whenever someone is able to see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's not my purpose to preach on the new birth this morning, but let me just make it plain uh, and to mention that, that the fact is that a dead alien sinner will never understand or see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. A dead alien sinner doesn't care that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. You understand that in nature, we don't care that Jesus is the Son of God. In nature, we cannot see that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He told Nicodemus, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. He said, verily I say unto you, Nicodemus, that except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Beloved, without the new birth, No man can see this, but praise God, once he's born again, he can and and he does see this. Uh, Simon Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And guess what? That is a revelation from God to man and Peter was blessed thereby. This morning, do you see that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Do you see that he is the Christ? Then praise God for it because it's a divine revelation. It is something that you can only see through the spirit that has been implanted within you. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. <clears throat> but back in back in uh, Mark, the eighth chapter again, I want you to see something else that he is. And it's very important that we understand this. How is it that Jesus Christ who is the second person of the Godhead, the divine, eternal Son of God, how is it that he would be able to come here and die and and pay for sins and put them away? How is it? Because God, as as we know, you can't kill God. God is eternal. God is all-powerful. You can't. No man can slay God. No man can overpower him and put him to death. But notice in verse 31 of Mark chapter 8, after Peter says in verse 29, Thou art the Christ, it says in verse 31, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes 
and be killed and after three days rise again. You see, he wasn't just Christ. He wasn't just the Son of God. He was also the Son of Man. The Son of Man. You know, Hebrews teaches us a powerful lesson over in the second chapter. In the second chapter of Hebrews, in verse 14, we're told, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. You see, what he's saying here is this, is that in order for, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be able to come down and to do the work of his Father, which is to pay the sin debt by dying on the cross, something had to happen to him. Because we are partakers of flesh and blood, in other words, because we are human, he had to become human. He also himself likewise took part of the same. Go back and read particularly Luke's account in chapters 1 and 2 of how that occurred. We won't spend much time on that this morning, but just understand that Jesus Christ had no earthly father. He had a heavenly father, which was always his father, but he had an earthly mother. Mary was uh, the sweet little virgin who, who was chosen to bear the Christ child and praise God for her. Praise God for what she was uh, what she did, and, and, and for her sweet faith and obedience. And because of, um, of that transaction where the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit, he was born of that virgin and he became man. I, I know that's a concept that's, that defies explanation. I, I can't explain it. I just I believe it because the Bible teaches it. There was a heresy in that day that uh, John and Paul and Peter and all the others had to, had to really battle with, especially John, and it was called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics said that Jesus didn't really come here in the flesh. He came here only in spirit, and he looked like a man, but he really wasn't a man. And because he really wasn't a man, he really didn't die. He just, uh, on the cross, just uh, whatever happened there was not a real death. It was just a, a, a transaction where Jesus... Um, uh, gave up his earthly form and, and, and disappeared or whatever they want to call it, but, uh, but he didn't really die. Beloved, the Bible teaches he did really die. And, and moreover, he had to really die because it says in Hebrews again, 2.14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. Why did he do that? That through death. In other words, because he had to do this so that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He, he destroyed death by dying himself. And, and of course, you know the rest of the story. He didn't just die, but he also, um, he also rose again on the third day. He, he didn't just die because even though a son of man, he could die as God, he couldn't stay dead. <laughs> and, and what he did was satisfying to his father. So John chapter 1 and uh, verse 14 says this, And the Word, capital W Word, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that. The Word, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, became flesh. He was made flesh. He became what we are. Now, not sin sinners like us, 
but flesh like us, you see. He, he, didn't, he didn't have a sin nature, praise God, because if he had, he would have been just like us. But what he did have was a, a real body. Uh, you know, a powerful statement about his humanity and his divinity is found in John, First uh, John, rather, chapter 4. And uh, listen to what he says in verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now listen to this. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, or this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You want to know about the Antichrist? Uh, now, I'm not going to get into eschatology here or end times, but I'll tell you this. The Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist is already here. How many people today deny that Jesus Christ uh, came in the flesh? Uh, that Those that do have a spirit of Antichrist. So you see, he was the son of man. I can't explain all that. I can't, I can't divide that in a way that, that really satisfies the rationalist or, the, or the, uh, the logic of the day. But I'll tell you this, I can't divide all that and figure out all the details of it and explain it to its fullest. But I know this, I believe that he was fully God and yet fully man. I've heard it put this way. He was as much God as if he were not man at all. And he was as much man as if he were not God at all. And that kind of is the only way I know to explain it. But Jesus Christ, he was the Christ, the anointed one. He was the son of God, uh, truly um, divine. And he was the son of man, truly man. And by the way, I use the past tense there, but I want to make it clear. He is all those things still today. We need to know who he is. We, we need to know what he does, but we need to know who he is. And then we also need to know what this means. We need to understand the implications of all of this. Going back to uh, verse 31 in Mark chapter 8, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This was very perplexing to the disciples. This was something that they had not expected to hear. You know, when those disciples first began to suspect that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, I'm sure their first thoughts were not, oh, great, we're going to get to go to go to Calvary's mountain and see him crucified one day. They didn't understand that. They really didn't. We're going to see that here in just a minute. Even Peter did not get it. He didn't get it at the time, but we need to get it. We have the benefit, by the way, of hindsight. So let's not be too hard on Peter and the disciples. They, they were still prospectively looking forward to what was going to happen, but, but uh, we, we know what's happened now. We've read the back of the book. We know the rest of the story, so to speak. But we need to understand what it means that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he is Christ, the anointed one, that he is the son of God, fully God, fully divine, and he is the son of man, fully human. Okay, we need to understand what that meant. And what that meant was, is that because he came down for this reason, to suffer, to be rejected, and to be killed, but ultimately to rise again. 
So we need to understand that. I want you to look, first of all, what happened, though. Look at Peter's wrong thinking. Look at verse 32. And he spake that saying openly. So he began to preach this. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine rebuking Jesus? <laughs> but Peter, you know, I, again, you got to give Peter a little credit. He didn't know what we know. So, uh, But Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Oh, man, have you ever been so off base that 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 you were you were doing the devil's work. Look, Peter was so off base here that Jesus called him Satan. <laughs> oh man, I've been. I'm sorry to say, I, it's one thing I like about Peter is I can identify with Peter. There's been times in my life when I should have kept my mouth shut, you know, and I spoke up. Peter's Peter's one that we always see speaking of. And by the way, remember that. According to history, according to Christian tradition, Peter is the one dictating this gospel to Mark. I find it very interesting and also somewhat amusing, but but really comforting to know that Peter did not uh, cut himself any slack. If indeed he's the one dictating this, I can almost see Mark sitting there writing. And 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 when you know Mark wasn't there, Mark was a companion of Paul and Barnabas, but he wasn't a disciple who was with Jesus. And I can see Mark sitting there writing down what Peter says. And, and he gets to this point and says, you know, Peter began to rebuke him. And he looks up at Peter and thinking, I don't know if I'd write that, brother. <laughs> and then, then he says that Jesus told me, I can hear Peter saying, Jesus told me, get thee behind me, Satan. And, and, and I can almost see Mark stopping here and laying his pen down saying, now, Peter, are you sure you want to include this in, in this? I can just see the smile on Peter's face. Peter saying, oh, yeah, yeah, go right ahead. Uh, you need to know this. They need to know this. First of all, it's the truth. And secondly, it, it's, it's what the Lord has inspired me to say. And thirdly, it will help someone down the road. So Peter here is, is so off base that Jesus calls him Satan. We need to remember there can be times when we get so off base, we sound more like the devil than, we, than, than, than ourselves, really. Uh, notice he said, get thee behind me, Satan. He said, don't. Peter, that's what the devil wants me to do. Peter said, you can't do this, Lord. You, you don't need to be talking this kind of stuff because we we're not expecting you to die. We're not looking for you to die. Um, and, uh, you know, in, back in Matthew chapter 16, this is literally what Peter said in verse 22. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. <laughs> In other words, don't don't be talking this stuff. You're, this isn't going to happen to you. We're not going to let it happen. You know, Peter's the one that drew his sword uh, ultimately and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And uh, Jesus told him there as well in the same way. Uh, this is the same account. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Let's don't be talking things that are offensive to Jesus. Let's, let's, try, to, let's try to be on the same page as our Lord. You see, we need to know what this all means. We need to understand what it means. And we have the benefit of hindsight and the complete scriptures that Peter and the rest of the disciples didn't have. Notice also the, uh, the fact that Jesus, see, see, Jesus here is giving them a whole new way of thinking about things. The, the pivotal teaching 
of Scripture. It's found right there in verse 31. The Son of Man must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and rise again. He's turning the world upside down. You know, the disciples were, were accused of that. And, and I'll tell you, beloved, if you preach the true gospel, it will do that. It will turn the world upside down. See, what Jesus is telling them is, look, you need to be thinking differently about this than the world thinks. Peter was thinking wrong, but notice the world has been teaching things wrong all this time as well. The world is, <laughs> this message is the opposite message of the world. The world says, make all you can, can all you make, sit on the lid so none can escape. <laughs> That's the world's philosophy. The world's philosophy is that the higher you go on the pyramid, you'll eventually reach the top, hopefully, and the more people you have under you, then the more powerful and successful you are. The, the more protection you amass under yourself, whether it be wealth or whether it be uh, uh, power or authority or whatever it may be, the more, you, the more protections you amass unto yourself in this life, the longer you'll preserve your own life. But I want you to see, Jesus is completely flipping the paradigm. Jesus is turning the world upside down. He's inverting the pyramid of success that the world um, gives us. Notice in verse 34, when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Well, that's contrary to the Pharisees, isn't it? Pharisees loved big, loud prayers on the street corner. They loved uh, high salutations in the marketplace. They loved the high seats at the banquets. But Jesus said, you need to deny yourself. You don't need to be seeking all that stuff. He said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What a teaching. What a teaching this is. So different than the world. Jesus completely flips the paradigm. He inverts the pyramid. He says it's not the, the man on top of the pyramid that's, that's the success in life or in my kingdom. In my kingdom, the pyramid is upside down. The point is down, and the more people you're serving above you, the more successful you are in the kingdom. The more you seek to save your life here, the more you focus upon all the things that, uh, that the world has to offer and amassing wealth and doing works and all this kind of thing, the more you do that here, the more you're going to lose your life. You know what Jesus told them in Matthew and verse... Uh, uh, Matthew, the sixth, uh, sixth chapter in verse 33, in that great sermon on the mount, he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He just told them about all the glory of Solomon and the glory of man, but look around you and see what the Lord has done to the earth even around you. Even if, and if he's so good to just the, the dead earth out here or the dumb animals, what, in the, what is he going to do for you? Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and you'll profit beyond your wildest imaginations. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel. 
This is not send the church $100 and you get $1,000 back. You may never get a dime back. I don't know if that little widow who put in that mite ever got another dime back, but I'll tell you this, she was blessed in that day from a spiritual standpoint, and you will be blessed too when you put the kingdom of God first. Don't seek to save your life. Lose your life for the gospel's sake. Bury yourself to this world in the kingdom of God. Lose your uh, worldly ambitions. Lose all of your uh, ties to this world and focus on the kingdom of God and praise God. He's promised that that we will we will save our lives by doing that. You know, Noah had to build an ark to the saving of his family. We don't have to build an ark. We've already got the old ship of Zion. We've got the old ship of Zion that we need to be on, on board with and we need to be sailing with because the storms of life are treacherous and deadly and dangerous and they will shipwreck your family. Oh, but if we'll get on board the old ship of Zion, we get in that, that arc of safety that we have. We may lose some worldly opportunities. We may lose some worldly preeminence, but I'll tell you, beloved, we'll save our lives in a spiritual sense. <laughs> Jesus, you know, completely changed things. The world applauds winners, right? Oh, yeah, you need to be a winner. Uh, if you're not a winner, you're vilified. The, the world applauds winners and glorifies victors and vilifies losers. But Jesus elevates the loser of his life to making him the ultimate winner. Oh, praise God. <laughs> praise God. And and he and he reminds us of this too. Notice in verse thirty-eight, as we bring this to a close, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know what he's doing here? He's reminding us that what we experience here is nothing compared to that which we will experience one day. You remember what Paul said in the book of Romans, the first, uh, the eighth chapter in the 18th verse. He said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Remember, you need, what does all this mean? What does it mean that he's got a He's got to suffer and be rejected and be killed and then rise again. What it means is that by doing so, he has secured a, a glorious resurrection for us one day. I heard not too long ago, I was talking to Elder Mike Ivey about all the things that are going on in the world. Boy, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, isn't there? A lot of troubles and trials, this pandemic and all kinds of all kinds of problems, political problems. We've got an election coming up, and it's getting rancorous. But you know you know where our hope lies? It doesn't lie in politics. It doesn't lie in the cure to a pandemic. Remember Hebrews chapter 2? For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. <laughs> I'm so thankful for that. What a what a glorious, glorious teaching that is. 
What a glorious truth that is. What that's telling us is that by coming here, by, by suffering, being rejected, being killed, and, and rising again, he has put death out of business. He has ensured for us that we will not be left here alone. He tells us in John the 14th chapter, as he's about getting ready to go to Calvary, the, 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 the shadow of Calvary is lying heavy upon him at this point. And he said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. Beloved, what he's telling these disciples here is, listen, don't do things uh, that, that are shameful here in this life. Don't, don't knuckle under to the pressure. Don't knuckle under to the stress. Don't don't knuckle under when the persecution comes. Don't be ashamed of me and my words. Don't don't be uh, running around acting like the world so that they might not see how different you are. Don't do that because one day I'm coming back and the resurrection is coming. I was talking, as I said to Brother Mike Ivey, about all these struggles and all the tumultuous times that we're living in. And, and, and he said, you know, Brother Chris, it doesn't bother me at all. You know why? Because it doesn't have one impact whatsoever on the resurrection. It doesn't affect the resurrection in one uh, little bit. There's no way, there's nothing that occurs here that's going to hinder Jesus from coming back. There's nothing that, uh, that, that happens here that's going to prevent him from taking every single one of his children out of the graves that they're in and bringing their bodies up and making them perfect bodies. When that trumpet sounds, there's not going to be a, an election or a debate or any kind of problem like a pandemic that's going to hinder that. In fact, all those things are going to go silent. All the debates will be over. The courtrooms will be empty. And all that will be left from here on out is a grand uh, palace of God in heaven, the throne room of Christ himself, where we will be singing glory to the Lamb. Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts. Praise God for that. See, that's what this means. You need to know what Jesus, Jesus does. He's, he's a healer. He's, he feeds us. He teaches us. Most importantly, he saved us. You need to know who he is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And you need to know what all this means. These are the rules of the road, beloved. This is the things that we need to take with us as we walk the highways and byways of this sin-cursed world. We need to know what it means. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, here's what it means. In verses 36 and 37, Jesus asked his disciples two very fundamental questions. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What he's talking about there, beloved, is that no matter what we do in life, one day life will be over. Our souls will be demanded of us. We will be uh, we will give up these temporary bodies. We will vacate whatever positions that we may hold in this world, whether it be supervisor or if it be a position of political power or, or just a job or even a position of just being a father or a mother or whatever position you may hold. One day we'll give all these up. And if those are the things we've been holding on to, then we will have lost all the opportunities that we have in this life to serve him. Oh, we'll be, you know, we'll be saved for eternal heaven. We'll be there. 
by the skin of our teeth, so to speak. <laughs> you, know, you know, I trust what I mean by that, 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 that we're saved to the uttermost. We're saved utterly by the blood of Christ. But, but isn't it a shame? Wouldn't it be shameful to live all of our lives uh, not acknowledging that? to live all of our lives in a way that we're trying to hang on to everything we see down here instead of laying up treasure for ourselves in heaven. Oh, beloved, I, 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 just, I just pray that we can understand that, that we should seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Because you see, the Son of Man came to suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. These rules of the road that he gave them are this. Focus upon the kingdom of God. Put your treasure in heaven and not here on this earth. Focus upon the kingdom. Seek it first. That's the rules of the road, because you know what? No matter what you face here on the highways and byways of this life, we, we win in the end. <laughs> We win, and not because we hung on, not because we're so smart or so strong. We win because he won. And one day we'll be with him. Praise God for his glorious grace and the salvation that's found only in Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. 